You are listening to Shareworthy, the influencer and content marketing podcast brought to you by Isia, the industry's leader in developing technology that helps marketers and creators connect. Hey everybody, Katie here. Welcome to Shareworthy, Isia's influencer and content marketing podcast. Show notes can be found at IZEA.com and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow Isia on Twitter at IZEA and Facebook at facebook.com slash Isia Inc. All links are in the show notes. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing outstanding. Good to see you. Good to be here. Excellent. Thanks so much for being on Shareworthy with us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Love love what you guys do and happy to contribute. Excellent. Well, Tom Ward is a sales and marketing guy, digital media enthusiast, and writer for Forbes and Social Media Today. Is that accurate, Tom? I pulled that off of your Twitter. That is um, accurate. And now there is a blue check next to my Twitter I got yesterday. I'm very excited about that. Oh, yeah? Congratulations. Thank you, sir. All right. Since you are a writer and reporter for the marketing technology field, specifically for influencer marketing, I've come up with a few questions that are sort of topical, but also industry related. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Let's get to this. So fake news has been in the news a lot lately. What's happening to content and influencer marketing in the age of fake news? You know, fake news, I don't think, is anything that's new. I mean, you go back to yellow journalism with William Randolph Hearst and, you know, his, his headline was, you know, you give me the pictures, I, I'll supply the war, right? And that almost got us in this, well, it did get us in the Spanish-American War, a little history lesson there. But so it's been around forever. I think now with um, influencer marketing, brands can get ahead of it by being authentic by providing authentic content around the brand and also always listening online for those conversations so they can spot the fake news before it happens or while it's happening so they can respond to it in a timely and effective manner. Excellent point about authenticity, but in in this digital age with so much noise through social media, how do you position yourself as the authentic source of information? Like right now. So I'm talking to you, you, you reached out to me, why? Because I can't just say I'm a digital marketing guy or digital media guy. I've got to have some evidence, right? Okay, well, Tom writes for Forbes. He writes for social media today. He interviews a lot of people in that industry. So he's an authority figure, you know, in that space. And same thing with influencers. If, if you're a makeup company, you know, who are the authorities in that field? What influencers are, are real authorities? And you can look at things like how many followers do they have on Instagram? Do they work with brands? Do they have partnerships? Those kind of things. Gotcha. Gotcha. So through your writing through Forbes and social media today and other publications, I, I was wondering what's catching your eye in the marketing and technology industry, specifically influencer marketing. What's the big new thing? I think the big new thing is just influencer marketing. That is all I've been obsessed by it. I think my last 10 articles were about it. And I think that's all brands are talking about. A lot of brands are just getting in the space because it's a hot buzzword. It was almost like social media was, you know, maybe five, six, seven years ago. Okay, we need a Facebook page. We need a Twitter page. Where's the youngest person in the office? Where's the millennial? Just give them the accounts and have them run wild. And I think that's the same thing you're seeing with influencer marketing. It's kind of all over the place. So what I'm seeing is you've got really two two models. And I'm curious to see which one will win out because you've got the self-serve marketplaces 
which is almost like a classifieds where an influencer will hook up with speaker, fame, bit, those kind. Then you'll see another model, which is the influencer agency, which usually they'll have a network of influencers. So I have 10,000 influencers that I have sometimes signed to exclusive deals. And then I'll work with a brand. Coca-Cola will come to me and say, I need influencers. I'm 18 to 24. And I say, okay, here's my people. Pick which one you like. So I think that's what's going on in the space. And a bunch of people, Amazon recently announced they're kind of getting in the influencer game a little bit too. You see media companies getting into it too. So it's kind of the wild west though still right now. And we'll kind of see where this all ends up in the next couple of years. It's certainly an exciting time. Probably get a lot of pitches from people who want you to write about them or their products or at least have a story. What are the most common mistakes people make when pitching journalists? They're terrible ideas. <laughs> That's the first thing. They're horrible. It's usually, and I get, and I'm not a big writer. I mean, I contribute to a couple, and I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm not writing for the New York Times. But every day I get at least 10 PR companies reaching out to me. I just got one yesterday. It was a football player I knew, a high-profile guy, and I guess his publicist reached out and said, hey, this guy is starting a travel destination company, whatever the heck that means. Travel should be destination, I guess. But anyway, he reached out and she reached out and said, hey, do you want to write an article about this guy? No, I don't even respond because I don't even understand what the company is. I don't understand if they're making money or, or anything. So why would I write about it? So I think that's the number one mistake people make when pitching articles is ask yourself, is this an article I would read? And if they're real, I think the answer to 99% of them is no. So what advice would you give them to in order to get your interest? How do they get a story picked up? Just by providing something interesting, something that would be interesting to the reader, not just trying to sell their product or their, the person they're representing's project, product or themselves, something that is less salesy, something that would be interesting to a reader. Gotcha. So you have to put yourself in the perspective of the reader in order to get it right most important thing like right now we should i had a friend who was in radio and back in the day when there was radio stations and he always said i'm talking to one person in their car like right now this podcast we should be talking to one person you should always be thinking of your audience and same thing when you're writing you should always be thinking of that person reading a quick article on their phone while waiting at a line at mcdonald's or something gotcha gotcha so those stories that talk to the one reader or the one listener what makes a good story great? What pushes it over the edge? That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> it's like uh, the definition of pornography that uh, some chief justice had. You know, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. And it's the same thing, I think, with a great article. I know it when I see it. Probably the most important thing to an article is the title, by far. That's because if you don't have a good title, people aren't going to read it. And then I think this, I'm talking about online specifically. And then the picture is the second most important thing. So if you have a good title, a good picture, you're getting there. But then once you get into the article, something that makes you think, something that when you read it, an hour later, the next day while you're at the gym, you're driving in your car, you're thinking, wow, they made a great point. And that makes me think about these next three things. I think that's what makes an article great is getting somebody to think and share it and want to talk to their friends and family about it. Yeah, you want to start that conversation. 
Oh, no question. Isn't that, I mean, what do you do when you read a good article? You talk about it afterward. Yeah, that's what I do. I think it's a great article. You get people talking. So you mentioned the headline is probably the most important thing. No question. When you're writing your stories, where do you find inspiration for that catchy headline? My wife. <laughs> what I'll do is, somebody gave me good advice a while ago. I think it might have been Tim Ferriss. I don't know, four-hour work we got. But he always said, and I think it was him, that you write the headline first. Right? You don't write the article. And what I did, and I think a lot of writers do, is you write the article first and then try to think of a headline to capture the writer's interest. And that is the wrong way to go about it. You write the headline first because, like again, if people don't like that, they won't click on it and they'll never even read your article. So what does it matter how good your article is? So what I'll do is I'll write and I'll spend hours and hours writing down. If I know I want to write an article about Justin at Isaiah, right, I'll spend hours think just sketching title ideas. And then I'll run past my wife and a couple other people that I trust. And they'll say, no, horrible, 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 go with that one. And then, you know, I, if two people tell me the same thing, that's usually the article I go with, or the headline I go with. Nice. So when you're reading content online or in the newspaper or in a magazine, what type of content are you drawn to and why? Sneaky content gets me all the time. Sneaky? Sneaky. Like Daily Mail and people like that, kind of the tabloid TMZ, they're great at it is they'll do the article that you don't even want to read, but you can't help yourself. Where it'll say like 20 child stars who are insanely hot now. It's like, ooh, I don't know. What child stars are they talking about? Click on it, they got me. So those ones always kind of pull you in. Ink, I like a lot, Ink Magazine. Vice, I love Vice. And what Vice does a great job of is off the wall stuff, which draws me in. There's a million articles today, as we're recording, about Kendall Jenner's Pepsi ad. Million of them. It's not going to draw me in. I saw the ad. I know what people are saying. I don't care anymore. But Vice will do something on a warlord in Liberia who used to eat soldiers <laughs> that he killed. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, people were human cannibals, right? I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Let me see what's going on. So those kind of interesting topics will draw me in. Will draw me in. Very cool. Along those same lines, a lot of those stories that you mentioned have the opportunity or the potential to go viral. Is it possible to go viral on purpose or does it always happen by accident? And is there a formula to virality? I'd say yes and no. You can go viral on purpose. Like I said, those headlines, you know, five celebrities you didn't know were black. It's like, whoa, how would I not know that? And let me, let me click on that and see, right? So they're very well-designed headlines and topic ideas that I guarantee there's people sitting around in a war room coming up with the next goofy one that you'll click on. So you can be definite about it and, and cause things to go viral. Hashtags never seem to work. Hashtag who cares conference. No one will click on the hashtag who cares conference. So those ones that brands come up with a lot, I don't think ever catch on. But again, I think it's, it's creating the content that people want to see. So if you're real deliberate about it, the easiest thing you can do is ask your audience what they want to see and kind of give it to them again with good pictures, you know, good infographics, things like that. Things that are easily shareable tend to catch on. But then there's off the wall things. It's almost like trying to determine, I always thought like one of the hardest jobs would be like a program director at a radio station now or a Spotify playlist person or somebody 
programming channel on Sirius XM, how do you determine what people want to listen to? How do you determine a hit song if you're a record exec? There'll always be a Gangnam style that just comes out of left field. So well, I think you can do things to encourage things to go viral. Some things just come off the wall that people really resonate with. Gotcha. So say you have a boring topic and you're trying to make it interesting. You're digging deep into it, looking for the detail that's really going to catch that person's eye. How do you make a boring topic interesting? It's almost like having a conversation with somebody at a party that does a job you don't even care about. You know, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an accountant. Okay, cool. You know, and then you just keep asking. I guess you just keep asking questions until you hit on something. And everybody, every job, every topic has something interesting about it. Oh, wow, you're an accountant for the Kali cartel you know, who sells drugs and you're trying to launder money. Okay, that's cool. Let's, let's talk about that, right? You're a trash person. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, how's the recyclable business? No one cares. How's you know, different trash collection days? No one cares. Oh, you found a body two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Well, you know, let's, let's talk more about that. And I think it's the same thing when you're trying to make a boring topic interesting. You know, if you're talking about financial planning, it can pretty, be pretty dry. I think there's certain things, again, you just like that person in the party, just keep asking questions and eventually you uncover a nugget. Gotcha. Yeah, it's all about it's all about finding that one piece that's so tasty you can't resist but to read on. Yeah, I mean, you're, do, you're giving a great in, uh, interview right now. Props to you. Um, Howard Stern, I'm a big fan. I think he gives the best interview out there. And I think a lot of people agree. And the thing that makes Howard so great is he can make anyone interesting. Anyone. And it's the same thing of making a boring topic interesting is you just got to kind of keep mining. Keep mining for that nugget, that nugget and eventually you'll find it. Gotcha. All right. So here's something that's going to make our boring conversation interesting. Hopefully it's been interesting already, but all right, let's keep going. Oh, it's, it's been very interesting, but here's something that's been in the headlines recently. It's AI, artificial intelligence, and it's being incorporated into social media. It's being incorporated into marketing automation. It's being incorporated into the internet of things. So my question for you, yes. I know you're snoozing already. My so question important. for you. Yes. Will robots ever replace writers? Yeah, the reason I was kind of just, uh, you know, sighing about this is because AI seems so boring. It's like the marketing nerds have taken over, and that's the topic this week. It's like, let's automate and measure everything, KPIs, metrics, you know, it just, it just puts me to sleep. But the, the robot journalism stuff, I think you actually could if I think about it. Why not? So I think it would work for news stories, especially, right? If there was AI or robot or whatever the heck you call them, say the Kendall Jenner Pepsi story we were just talking about. Why can't a robot go out and pull all that information together, go see what the AP and the different wires are saying, and have an algorithm that say, okay, this is your topic, this is your opening sentence, we're going to have it be three paragraphs and whatever, and keep fine-tuning it to come up with an article because that's all anyone does anyway right mm -hmm. they're going to put their own little spin on the same ap news story of the day so i don't know i mean that's not rocket science why not true 
I, I remember reading something about it's already happening in the financial reporting industry where all the daily stock reports are just automatically generated based on an algorithm. Yeah, and it was funny. I heard an interview last week and they were talking about how people who write the news, you know, those financial reports, don't make any money anyway. And it's it's kind of a commodity. It's it's going to be the same thing. It doesn't matter if Justin writes it or Tom writes it. There's no personality. It's just a dry re report, right? But where, where you really make money and where you really become interesting is the people who comment on the news make more money than the people who write the news. So I think it, if you make that a robot, it doesn't matter. The Bill O'Reilly's of the world, uh, the Jim Cramers in the financial sector will take those reports and make them something. Have a robot do it. Why not? What do we care? Yeah, I guess it's our job to just comment on what the robots are doing. Exactly. Very cool. Well, those are all the questions I had. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you feel like should be part of the conversation? I think it should be a conversation. So what do you think about influencer marketing where it's headed? Influencer marketing, the more and more I hear about the mergers and acquisitions in the industry and new companies popping up almost on a daily basis, it shows that the industry's maturing and that it's becoming legitimate in the world of marketing. People see it as a real solid tactical opportunity for them to try something new with results that can be measured and that are proven. So I think it's a great time to be in the industry. It's a scary time because no one knows where it's headed. It's only going to get bigger from here. But it's also a great time to be an influencer, to be a content creator, because you're in such demand now that, yeah, there's tons of them, but we could always have more. So if you're out there creating that content, you're out there trying to tell a story and share what you're passionate about, the opportunities for you are endless. And I think that's what's most exciting. What do you think the, the thing that I see in the influencer space is I sat down with a, a beauty vlogger last week, right? She's got 6 million subscribers, Marielle Morero, Venezuelan girl. She's got like 6 million followers or subscribers just on her YouTube channels alone, right? And what I see is like with, with someone like her is everyone's trying to get a piece of her. And how many people can she feed? You know, if you've got a, an agency, you've got managers, you've got PR people, you've got brands, you've got agents, managers, how many people can that feed? What do you think? Is it, is it going to be like an actress where, you know, Jennifer Aniston could feed a whole team? Is that, is that kind of where it's headed? Or are they going to be the self-starter and, and manage it themselves? Like, what do you think? Well, I guess it all really depends on the individual. If someone works best with other people handling all aspects of the business and all they have to do is create the content, that would be someone who can get the opportunities that feed a team because the team will support them and get them the bigger opportunities. But if you're a self-starter, think of yourself like an entrepreneur. This is your company. This is your brand. So build it, do it, see how big you can get it, and then have an exit strategy. So many people get burnt out on social media. Yeah, no one to stop. You know, that's so key. It was funny when you're seeing a lot with these vloggers and the, the hot chick who was talking about makeup. Well, when she turns 30 and she has a kid, now all of a sudden she went from that hot girl to now she could still be hot. I'm not trying to be sexist, but she could be, you know, they turn into the mommy vlogger now. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're seeing that transition. So it's like, what's the end game here? 
am I going to become an actress? Am I going to become, I'm just going to keep growing my content until I'll talk about whatever I'm into that day. That's interesting too, is right. You bring up a great point. What's, what's the end game? What's the exit strategy here? Yeah, absolutely. I see influencers evolving with not only their lifestyle, but the demands of the industry and the sphere. Also turning their opinions, their influence into something bigger than just themselves. Starting a brand that is their personality, but it can be applied to anyone or anything, and it doesn't rely just on them. It's, it's 100% true. What do you think of the relationships between the brand and the influencer now? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, it seems like with all these middle people, a lot of times... By design, these agencies don't want the brand to have a direct relationship with the influencer, right? Because then what do they need the agency for, right? So do you think it's becoming like just commoditized or it's just an algorithm? Or do you think there's more, there's real relationships forming between the brand and the influencer? Well, I can only speak from personal experience on this. Uh, before I started working for Isaiah, I was a freelance writer. And so I would get assignments through platforms like Isaiah uh, for working with brands. And I wasn't a big influencer. I was, I would say, a micro creator, if you will. And I had affinities to the brands. I wouldn't call them relationships. Really, it was it was a gig to me. It wasn't about building something long term with the brand because I was working uh, at a full time job. Also, this was this was a side gig. But I can see someone who puts their face on something besides just their byline. Someone whose face and someone whose life and audience sees what they do with this brand. Relationships are key. And you can achieve that through agencies, marketplaces, even with self-service influencer marketing. You can develop that relationship. You work with a brand enough, you feel like you're part of the brand. And I think the middle step between the, the influencer and the brand is really to protect both the brand and the influencer. So it's to facilitate clear, honest, and transparent negotiation or price setting. It's to make sure everyone gets paid or everyone gets the content they need. Where if you're working one-on-one -on -one with someone, there's unless you have a, a contract, even then the contract can be broken. I mean, I think you need that middle person to make sure there is accountability. Well, not just that. It's like an actor or actress, right? You mm -hmm. never want them to negotiate their own deal because they'll negotiate a terrible deal. So mm -hmm. I think you need kind of the middleman negotiating that deal to give their client the best possible deal, but also to make sure that it's good for their brand and the brand they're dealing with. Like I was talking yesterday to, to um, someone who was part of a LeBron James deal on a cell phone. And it was interesting. He got to know LeBron and, and his handlers and stuff. And he got a BMW. W or something, and and he wanted to give LeBron. He said, "Hey, would LeBron be interested in testing this new car?" And he goes, "No, no, no. He's got to deal with Kia." And they go, "Come on, is LeBron driving a Kia?" He goes, "Are you kidding me? Of course he's not driving a Kia, but he can't be seen out in the BMW, right?" And I, those trip me out. It's like everyone knows that LeBron's not using a Kia, or when there's a BlackBerry event and you see all these celebs using their BlackBerry, but they get to the end of the line and they pick up their iPhone, right? 
So those the pay for play thing for me is kind of concerning. I think the, the great thing about influencers are the authenticity. If they truly are, are authentic, if they if they'll say a makeup girl will say, you know, I hate this lipstick. It's terrible. But I really like this mascara that's actually at Walgreens for nine dollars. You know, I'm, I have no interest in this. There's no hashtag ad. I think those are really interesting, but I think the ones that are obviously just a pay for play is concerning because you go, man, I mean, I, I trusted you, LeBron. We know you're not driving the key. You're not fooling anybody. Right. So do you think that's kind of where they're headed? I mean, do you think we'll ever get rid of those pay for play? Because those millennials and young people are they so can, savvy. Yeah, they can. The millennials can see right through the pay for play. But the key is to find that balance of relevancy to the audience and appropriateness to the brand personality. And I think that's where the marketplace or the agency comes in. It, it matches them perfectly. And another thing that I wanted to bring up is in our recent uh, study, the 2017 State of the Creator Economy, we found that a majority of people, of marketers who employ influencer marketing tactics influencer marketing tactics, they think that it costs a lot more than what the creators think they should be charging. So the brands see it as something that's expensive and the creators see it, they're undercutting themselves. So we really need to work on bringing that together because the brands think a sponsored blog post is going to cost them, for example, $1,500, where a creator sees it for like $500. So there's that disconnect there. And that's where the agency comes in to get that fair deal for both the brand and the creator. But if I'm the creator, give me the $1,500, I'm in. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's the disconnect there where the creators don't necessarily know what their content is worth. You know, and that's that's the other thing that I see all the time is no one talks about money. No one. How much are you really getting paid for that tweet, right? How much are you really getting paid to talk about that lipstick? Mm -hmm. And everyone's so hush-hush about it. Like you said, is that blog post worth 1500 bucks or is it worth $500? Is that mention on your Instagram, is a picture worth 50 grand or 75 or 10? You know, is it determined just by followers or is it followers and engagement? I mean, there's no where you're if you're buying a billboard on the side of the road in this metro area, it's going to cost X. If you're in this metro area or off this freeway, it's going to cost Y, where I don't think you I know you don't have it in the influencer space now. And that and people aren't transparent about what they're really making. I mean, the small circle knows what's really going on. It depends what side you're you're on, right? If, if you're an influencer, you're going to pay more than you should. Hey, God bless you, right? But if you're a brand paying more than you should too, you're kind of getting to take advantage of because there's not that standardization. Yeah, and as the industry matures even farther, I think we're going to see a standardization in what influencer marketing is truly worth on the brand side and for the creator side. And I see a push toward micro-influencers. You just wrote about micro-influencers. They're the ones who have the highest engagement rate. They may not have a huge following, but their followers follow them for a reason. Celebrities just get followers all the time. They may not, their followers may know of them, but they may not like them. They may not have 
hang on their every word, but these micro-influencers, these people who are influential in small circles, they're the ones who are driving the clicks. They're the ones that are changing the per purchase intent of their audience members. Their audience wants to be like them. And what better way to do that? They're not the coolest kid in school, mm -hmm. right? They're like the head of the chess club, mm -hmm. right? Head of the, the football, team. The football player doesn't care about the king of the nerds, right? But the nerds do. Yeah. Video game guys care about the number one video game guy in their circle, right? So I think, and I was sitting with somebody yesterday, and he was talking about his mom, old Jewish lady who lives in Boca, and he was joking about her, her and her friends who get together once a week and play golf, like seven of them. And he said, she's a micro-influencer, right? What she says to her friends about, you know, what she baked this week is very important, right? So, I mean, I think we're all influencers in some aspect of our lives, right? And some are macro and some are extremely micro, but hey, at the end of the day, we're all influencing something or someone. Yeah, and that's, that's how people should think about their lives. What am I doing to influence others? Is it positive? Is it negative? Let's be positive, my friend. Yeah. And on that note, I think this has been a great conversation. Now nah, I had a blast with you. Thanks for inviting me. I love what you guys are doing at Isaiah. And if there's anything I can do for you in the future, give me a shout. You know I will. Thank you so much for being on ShareWorthy, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. That's all the ShareWorthy knowledge for now. Stay tuned for future episodes, and remember to always champion the creators. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.